Lord, we do just receive the gifts that you've given. And Father, we open our hearts to be equipped. We realize that that might be a little bit different than we expect. But Holy Spirit, we trust you. We trust your anointing in Matt. We thank you that you've used him in nations around the world, but that we have the privilege of receiving what you say. Will you speak to us today? In Jesus' name, amen. Excellent. Thank you for having me. I have to move this in the middle because I'm slightly OCD and um, standing on the side wears me out a little bit. But I will move around. It's great to actually see your lovely faces. We've been praying for you before this church was even a church um, for a long time and, uh, and continuing to pray and just excited about what God's doing. Um, our church, uh, although you guys haven't met them, they love you guys. And, you know, they're, we feel like we're invested in what's happening here um, as much as we're invested in what's happening um, in Melbourne. And so, I mean, we're, we're, we're often praying for you and sharing testimonies of what God's doing. And yeah, just excited to, uh, to, to be here with you. And thank you guys for opening up your hearts and letting us be here. Um, thank you for having us and for coming out on a Saturday morning and giving your Saturday morning uh, to, to something more. There's something, uh, to me, that's exciting. It's exciting to, to have people that will, um, that will give their Saturday morning up to come and worship and seek Jesus and seek his face. I was reading this morning and I just... Uh, uh, I was reading again the account of Jesus asking the disciples, um, who do you say that I am? And they say, oh, yeah, well, you know, some, uh, who, who do people say that I am? Some say that you're Elisha and some say that you're a prophet and you're this and you're that. He says, but who do you say that I am? And Peter says, you're the Christ. You're the son of the living God. And then he goes on to say, uh, blessed are you, um, Simon, son of Jonah, or, or Peter, the rock. He says, but on this revelation, and so often we get that mixed up and we think this, this whole, this whole uh, uh, denominations that have gone, uh, they've, they've misinterpreted that scripture and said, on, on Peter will God build the church. But it's on this revelation of Jesus as the Christ, of who Jesus is, that God will build a church. And I just, just felt God say again this morning, he wants to reveal himself to us. And while I'm going to unpack some practical things this morning, um, my prayer has been that we would have a fresh revelation of who Jesus is, that we would see him anew, we'd see him afresh, that we would be captivated again by who he is and his purpose and plan for us um, and flow out of that. So Lord, I pray this morning that you would captivate our hearts again. Lord, I, Lord, I realize the people that are here, we've given up our Saturday morning, Lord. There's a, there's a sense of, that we're already captivated by who you are, Lord, but it's never enough. Lord, we want to see more of you. We want more of your presence, Lord. We want to, be, Lord, we want to see, Lord, a, a fresh revelation of who you are. Lord, stir our hearts again. Speak to us today, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. In uh, 2004, at the Athens Olympics, there was a shooter, a, a target shooter named Matt Emmons. Um, he was one shot away from winning his second gold medal. He was at the top of his game. He had already won the International Shooting Federation Championship in 2002 and 2004. He was the best shooter that was there at the Olympics. Wasn't even a question. His final target was 50 meters away, which is a long way away. He's shooting at a little tiny target. He's sitting in first place. All he had to do was hit the target, not even hit the bullseye, just hit the target and he was going to win and cement his place at the top of the shooting game. He sighted the target. He took a deep breath. It's on the, it's on the, the TV for the world to see. Squeezes the trigger. Bang, he hits a bullseye. And from that moment, he went from first place to eighth place that's what happens when you aim at the wrong target. He hit a bullseye on the target next to the target he was supposed to be aiming at. Dead center. That's what happens when you make the perfect shot, but you're aiming at the wrong target. I don't know. I don't think I've met anyone who doesn't want to have impact, have their, their life have impact or meaning or, or um, have value. You know, I, I've never met anyone who says, you know, I, I don't want my life to be purposeful. 
You know, I, I don't want to feel like it has meaning. Everyone has this desire for their life to have meaning and to have purpose and to have value, um, to be living for something. Um, like I said, you guys are here on a Saturday morning. I mean, obviously you want your life to have purpose and to, to, to have meaning. The problem is that many of us aim at the wrong target. We do what we do really well, but we're actually aiming at the wrong target. In Philippians 4, verse 11 to 12, Paul says this, I've learned in whatever situation to be content. I'd like to be able to say that. I'd like to get to the end of my life and be able to say, in every situation that I found myself in, I've learned to be content. I know how to be brought low and how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. In 1 Thessalonians 3, verse 6 to 8, it says, but now, now Timothy has come from, uh, from us to you and has brought us the good news of your faith. Can you say your? Your, your faith and love. And reported that you always remember us kindly and long to see us as we long to see you. For this reason, brothers and sisters, for this reason, in all our distress and affliction, we have been comforted about your faith, about you through your faith. For now we live... I've underlined this in my Bible. If you are standing fast in the Lord, for now we live, not if my ministry is big or my reach is far. Now we live that you are standing fast in the Lord. The secret, I think, to contentment in the kingdom, to having real impact, to living with purpose is not about how much we have. It's not about our house or our car or what we wear or our, you know, how many social media followers we have or even how eloquent we can, we can communicate. The secret to, con to contentment and having real kingdom impact is about those that we influence. It's about making disciples. This is how, it's how the kingdom is advanced. It's about investing our lives. The, the, the sum total of who we are, our time, our talent, our treasures, the things that God's given us, investing our lives into other people. It's about investing who we are to influence other people. Ephesians 4 says that God gives gifts to equip the saints for works of ministry. Not to be the ministry or to do all the ministry, but to equip, to invest into others so that they can be people who minister and walk in what God's called them to. I think there's too many Christians, gifted, anointed, called Christians that are feeling useless and fed up and bored and undervalued and disgruntled and agitated and discontent because they've missed this vital truth or haven't seen it function. We get all the teaching, we get all the anointing, we get all the, the prophecy, and we, we have all these streams for, pouring into us, but there's no investing into anyone else. We come and sit, we come and do the church thing, but there's no opportunity to pour out. We become like the Dead Sea. All the streams flowing in, all the, you know, all the great teaching and all the resource flowing in, but if there's no outlet, there's no life. We forgot that there's joy in team, that the purpose is not to advance my ministry, but to invest in others so that they can walk in what God's called them to. Can I ask this morning? Say that again. What did I just say? <laughs> I was thinking three lines ahead. That the purpose is not, um, is not in advancing my ministry, or creating a bigger platform or getting more invites or whatever it is that we think is success in ministry, but it's investing into people so that they can walk into what God's called them to. Yeah. It's about investing our lives into people so that they come to know Jesus and that they're discipled into kingdom reality where it's not about coming and sitting on a seat and watching somebody else do all the ministry all the time, but it's about being empowered and encouraged and stirred up to go do ministry to be people who, to be a priesthood of all believers. I'm not saying that we shouldn't do this. This is vitally important, but this is so that we are equipped and encouraged and, and stirred up to go out and invest in others. 
are you aiming at the right target? I'm going to ask you this morning, who are you investing your life into? I've asked that question in, in a lot of different contexts, and I found that the response is often we think generally. Oh, I work into this sphere. Can you write down names? Who are you investing your life into? Not just generally, I, you know, I'm a, I serve in church. That's great. We're going to talk about that later. But are there specific people that you're praying for? Are there specific people that, that you pray for for salvation? Are there specific people that you're saying, hey, c- come along with me. Let's go grab a coffee. Let's, talk, let's minister together. Let me disciple you. Let me, and, you know, we might not use those words. You know, come, let me disciple you. But it's kind of, uh, I, I, we have this joke about my wife, Elodie, because um, you'll meet her later. She's going to come up. And we're going to do the second session together. Um, but she is, um, she is the quintessential, quintessential definition of ADD. She is a grade one teacher, and after, like, after a whole day with 27 grade ones, she's at a normal person's energy level. After a half an hour with grade ones, I want to have a nap. Um, and there's this joke that we say in church is that y- y- you don't meet with Elodie, you get on the Elodie train. Because she doesn't actually ever stop. So she says, if you want to spend time with me, just come with me. Come in the car, we'll go to Spotlight, I'm going to go to this place, we're going to go to that place, I'm just going to keep going. And while we're going, that's when discipleship is happening. More than sitting across the table. I mean, there is a place for coffee. I like to do the coffee thing because I'm a bit slower. Yeah. I need coffee to keep going. We, uh, <laughs> we've, we left wherever we, we left here yesterday at the same time. Mom and dad went to the shops to get some groceries. And um, two hours later, I got a message from mom saying, have you guys got lost? And I said, no, just Elodie wanted to go to this shop and then we went to another shop and then we went to Spotlight and she had to get something for the kids thing and then she had to get something else. And then we ended up, she saw the reject shop, so we had to stop. And that's just life with Elodie. <laughs> Who are you investing your life into? See, being a Christian is not just about coming to church on a Sunday morning, giving you 10%, reading your Bible and maybe helping with the kids or doing setup every now and then. Sadly, that's what, we've, that's what so much of the church and so often that we have limited Christianity to, to that. We've, we've, we've made it so, so boring. Like, so like, I mean, yeah, it's good. It's good to serve. It's, I mean, we need to come together. But if that's it, I mean, honestly, that's boring. There should be adventure. should be adventure in it. You go pray for somebody on the street that could possibly want to stab you if, you, you know, if they don't like you. There's adventure in that. You see somebody healed, there's adventure in that. You come and we sit and we do the thing and we give our 10% and we go, oh, well, you know, I don't know why I'm bored with this. Because you're doing a boring Christianity. There's more to it than that. We've got to be investing into someone else. We need to be people who serve in the church. We need people who serve and to be faithful in serving. But being a Christian, first and foremost, is about relationship with God and making disciples. All the other stuff is way down the line. But so often we aim at the wrong target. It's about passionately pursuing and becoming more like Jesus. It's about investing into others so that they become more like Jesus and invest into others. I mean, it, you know, that, that sounds, I, I know it sounds overly simple. And it is. Because Christianity is not complex. Yeah. But we've made it boring. It's not, it's not complicated. It's fun, but it's also simple. Yeah. If you have your Bibles, you turn with me to Matthew 28. I know you guys have probably heard this scripture a thousand times. I'm going to share it anyways. Verse 19. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Matthew 28, verse 19. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all that I have commanded. And behold, I am with you to the end of the age. This is not the great commission for pastors or the great commission for church leaders. This is not the great commission for the select few. This is the great commission for every single believer, every single person in Jesus. Go make disciples. I know you've heard this before. These are Jesus' last words to his disciples. 
He spends three years with them. He's journeyed with them. He's taught them. He's discipled them. Of all the things he could have said to them, this is the end. All the things he could have commanded them to do or told them to remember, he leaves them with this. He doesn't say, you know, he could, I mean, he could have said like really good things. Remember the poor. Um, you know, show mercy, be humble, be kind, pray, pray more, uh, you know, whatever. Of all the things he could have reminded them, and those things are good, he says this, go make disciples. And then he says, you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit in not many days from now. And you will receive, this is in Acts 1, verse 5 and verse 8. You'll be baptized in the Holy Spirit not many days from now, and you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. So you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. <clears throat> Excuse me. Jesus, is le Jesus leaves his disciples with an enduring commandment and an empowering to see it fulfilled. He doesn't just say, go make disciples, good luck, hope it works for you. He says, go make disciples, and I'm going to empower you to see that task fulfilled. Go make disciples by teaching them all I've commanded and witness or reach people to disciple through the empowering of the Holy Spirit. So the question is, are we aiming at the right target? Have we complicated the simplicity of becoming like Jesus and investing into others? Have we added more to the equation than Jesus left the disciples with? Have we given our lives to other good things, but missed the one thing that brings kingdom impact and fulfillment in life? Because in the end, it's only what we've invested into others that has eternal impact. We're all going to go be with Jesus one day, if you believe in him. But the eternal impact is the other people that we've invested our lives into that are going to go be with him in eternity. Right. I've, been, uh, I've had the privilege of leading in a local church for 10 years and two months now, of being the, the guy who leads the team. I've been involved in church almost my whole life. And sadly, I've seen a lot of examples, a lot of people who are faithful servants in the church, but at some point get fed up with the church and stop serving and stop enjoying what God's doing and stop being, yeah, stop being positive about it. It's like, well, I serve and I do my thing, but ugh. they get disgruntled at some point. I mean, you, you, you probably met people like that. Maybe you've been someone like that. You just go, oh, what's the point? We had a guy that played keyboard for us for a long time. Great keyboard player. And then at some point he just was like, why do I have to come to practice anymore? What's the point? I'm a great keyboard player. Why do I need to practice? Why do, you know, why should, why do I need to sit in the, in the preaching? I don't need to hear any more sermons. I've heard all the sermons. See, something happened where his, what he was aiming at was not becoming more like Jesus and making disciples. It wasn't, he wasn't investing into anyone. So of course he was going to get frustrated. Because when you play church music, it's like 10% of all the music skill in the world. It's not that hard. It's not the hardest music to play in the world. So he got bored. He wasn't investing into anyone. He wasn't doing anything beyond just the, the, the basic thing. So he got bored. And what's really sad to me is although I, I met with him like a hundred times, he ended up not playing music in church anymore. And then he ended up not going to church anymore. And then he ended up kind of even being like, I'm not even really sure if I believe all this stuff. What happened? I think what happened was that he was aiming at the wrong target. He wasn't investing into anyone. And where there's no outlet, there's no life. Sooner or later, even with all the, the, as good as the input can be, if there's no outlet, we become the Dead Sea. There's no life. So are we building the church or are we making disciples? Mm. Mm. Are we building the church or are we making disciples? Are we running after the latest book or the latest method or technique or movement? Or are we making disciples? Psalm 127 verse 1 says this, Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. That's a sobering scripture. Someone said our attitude to church, to the church, will be subjective, 
swayed by filters, baggage, and imaginings unless discipleship establishes us in kingdom reality. Are we discipling people? Are we establishing them in kingdom reality? The role of the local church, let me say it again, is vitally important in making disciples and growing as followers of Christ so that we come to maturity. I'm not downplaying the church by any means, but if our focus becomes the church and not making disciples, we're aiming at the wrong target. Hebrews 10 verse 24 says, let us consider how to stir one another up to faith. To love and good works, sorry, to so up to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together or to give up meeting together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as we say the day as we see the day drawing near. The church is important, but it's not the end or the goal in itself. It amazes me how many people who say that they are Bible-believing Christians who won't gather together with church in a church community. I said, what, what about Hebrews 10? Oh, well, it doesn't apply to me. Well, then how do you believe the rest of the Bible? Yeah. Church is vitally important. We have to gather, but that's not the goal. The goal is to see the kingdom extended yeah. through making disciples of Jesus. The byproduct is that the church grows. That's why we need healthy, uh, uh, Jesus-loving, Jesus-focused local churches. Because as we make disciples, God wants to add them to a body. But the focus isn't the body, the focus is the disciples. Too often we're focused on the wrong target and we wonder why we don't feel like we're having an impact or content or fulfilled. Why the, and then the question is always this, it boils down to this, why isn't the church growing? I mean, you guys at the moment, um, Redemption Hills Church, I don't know if there's people here from other churches, but... You probably don't have that question right now. Your question at the moment is, why is the church growing so fast? It's probably because your focus is in the right place. This truth is equally important for every believer. This truth is equally important for every single believer. It's not just for leaders or, or pastors. It's the call of every believer to be people who make disciples. As believers, if we're going to invest into others and release them to what God's called them to, we have to be people who are confident in our identity in Christ. If we're going to be people who, who truly invest into others, not just try and get people to help us out so that we look better, but invest into them, we have to be those who are confident in our identity, who've settled this thing of who am I in Christ? See, we'll never release people to what God has for them if we're insecure. We'll never release people to what God has for them if we're insecure in ourselves. That doesn't mean we have to be extroverts. It doesn't mean that we have to, uh, that we have to be uh, you know, outgoing and great communicators. And what it means is we have to have our confidence in our identity in Jesus. Our confidence is found in him and who we are in his family, not in what we do. John 1 verse 12 says, but to, but to all who did receive him, who believe in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. To become children of God. Romans 14, verse 17. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are, are sons, or sons and daughters of God. We're part of his family. The, the, the son thing carries something of inheritance with it from that time, but it doesn't exclude women. It's sons and daughters of God. For you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you received a spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. Galatians 4, verse 4. When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons and daughters. And because you are sons, God has sent his Spirit, the Spirit of his Son, into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father, you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir 
through God. This truth of who we are in Christ, of who we are uh, as sons and daughters of the living God, part of his family, accepted um, uh, you know, with, with uh, favor and inheritance. This truth will totally shape our relationship with God and determine how we view other people. If we understand that we're sons and daughters of God and we're accepted into God's family and loved unconditionally, then we will minister to others selflessly. If we understand that we are sons and daughters accepted into God's family, loved unconditionally, then we will minister to others selflessly. But if we're not confident in our identity, then we will always be striving for approval or trying to be better than those around us. And we view others as a threat rather than investing into them. See, if we're still, uh, if, if we're not confident that God loves me unconditionally because I'm his son, then it's gonna always come back to something of performance. God loves me because I can preach the word. And so I wanna be the best preacher of the word. And therefore I don't want anyone else to be a good preacher of the word because if they're better than me, then maybe God loves me a little bit less. It sounds silly when we say it like that, but so often we minister from that place. I don't want to invest into others because they might get the recognition. They might get promoted. They might, they might have doors open for them in the kingdom. And then what about me? Who cares? You're a son and daughter of the living God. That's all that matters. doesn't matter what doors open for you. It doesn't matter what platforms you stand on. It doesn't matter whether you can preach or worship or do whatever. It doesn't matter because we're sons and daughters of God. When we settle this thing, it makes it really easy to invest into others. If we don't settle this thing, we'll never truly invest into others in a way that sees them succeed. We'll always hold back in a sense. To be honest, I didn't totally understand this truth until I had kids of my own. And then I realized it doesn't actually matter what they do, they're still my sons. I have a seven-year-old and a four-year-old son, and they test that truth. I mean, you know, they try and do things to see whether I'm still going to love them. I don't think they do it on purpose. They're just seven and four-year-old boys. They run onto the road in the middle of the road when cars are coming just because they can. My four-year-old, when he was about two and a half, I have an old, have an, an, an old 1971 Holden wagon. And I was out there meticulously polishing it. And he, ran, he, he, was, he came out one day, still, just in a nappy in the middle of summer. He looked at the car, looked at his reflection in the car, looked at me, and then he just ran headfirst into the car. <laughs> Fell on the ground, and I thought, what are you doing? And he got up and just started laughing. <laughs> he could burn that car to the ground. He's still my son. I would be very upset. But I would still love him. It doesn't change, the, 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 it doesn't change his position in my family. Doesn't, there's nothing that he can do that makes him not my son. Yeah. Nothing. We have to understand that about God. There's nothing that we can do that makes us not his son or daughter. Therefore, there's nothing that we can do that makes us more his son or daughter. If we're not confident in our identity, we'll always be striving for approval, trying to be better than those around us. And we view others as a threat rather than investing into them. If we're confident in our identity, if we're living as sons and daughters, then we'll be able to invest into those around us. We'll be able to give selflessly. Are we confident? Are we sons and daughters? Or do we still have something of an orphan heart? I mean, that, I, I could preach for 10 weeks on this. We're doing a series at the moment called New Creation. And so I'm, try, I'm trying to kind of to limit myself from going down that tangent and just, it'll be the rest of the next 10 weeks. We wouldn't go home. But I want to get to something. I, I want to look at something of this. Our identity in Jesus should produce a confidence in us that enables us to invest in others selflessly and in a secure and bold way. Not kind of, oh, you know, here's the thing. When we invest in others, it's not, if, if we're still thinking um, 
not as sons and daughters, as, as slaves or as, you know, not part of his family, then we're always going to be thinking, what am I going to get back out of this investment? I'm only going to invest in, you know, I, I, I'm a musician. Um, and so, you know, the, the thought would be this. I'm only going to teach you to play and get you involved in the music team if you can be on the music team. And therefore, maybe I don't have to play so much. But here's the thing. We invest in people and we pour into them and then, then they're still people and sometimes they leave and sometimes they hurt us and sometimes they don't do the thing that we thought that we were doing. And then it, it, what, it, what it does is it, it questions our heart. Why did I invest into them in the first place? Was it to make a disciple? Was it to whoo, make a disciple? Was it to release them <laughs> to become more like Jesus? Was it to, was it to minister to, was it to, to, um, to, pour into them so that they can minister and walk into God's call in their life? Or is it so that it would help me? Or make me look better? Or help my church? Or help the church look better? That's a real heart check one. Because I know that for, for me, I've invested into some people who, over the years, who have left. And maybe even like, you know, left our friendship. Not even just left our church, but no longer want to be my friend. And something in you goes, well, yeah, forget it. I'm not going to invest into anyone else. Go have your way. I mean, I'm being, I'm being brutally honest this morning. I hope you guys can, can take that. Um, because we've all, we, we've all felt it. I mean, yeah, we like to, we like to pretend like we haven't, but we, yeah, we've probably been there at some point. Our identity in Jesus should produce a confidence that enables us to invest into others in a selfless, secure, and bold way. It enables us to really invest in others because... We're not trying to prove anything about ourselves or trying to prove anything to anyone else. If you're serving in this church because you want Russ to notice you, then you haven't settled your thing of identity. You know, if every conversation with Tim, you're like, hey, you know I can play pretty sweet guitar. I mean, you know, dude. I can play sweet guitar, dude. You can play sweet guitar. Just, uh, I was like, whoa. But, you know, it, it, you need, <laughs> we need more musicians. You need more people to serve. But what's the hard attitude behind it? I'm not trying to prove anything else. Insecurity relegates us to a small, insignificant place with other scared people. But confidence in our identity will help us attract other champions so that we can conquer promised lands. There's a story in the Old Testament of David and the mighty men. David, uh, God anoints David to be the next king. There's, this, there's, there's this, this season, these years where he doesn't see it come to fruition. David had every, yeah, there was every reason for him to not be confident in his identity and what God had called him to. Because this prophet comes, his dad doesn't even call him out from the sheep. Shows him all the other brothers. David's out with the sheep. And the prophet's like, is there not anyone else? Because I'm pretty sure God said it's from your family. Oh, yeah, by the, yeah, there's another one. He's out with the sheep. Can you get him? <laughs> yeah, we'll go send for him. Go get David. He comes in. Yeah, that's, that's the guy. He gets anointed. He pours his oil on him. And then nothing happens. How would you feel? He had every reason to, to, to question his identity. But he knew he was anointed to be the next king. It didn't matter how long it took. He said, I'm not going to kill Saul. I'm not going to harm him because I know that God's anointed me. And what happened was because he was confident, God draws other mighty men around him. He wasn't always whinging and moaning all the time about like, oh, when is it going to be my turn? And God anointed me, but it's just taking forever. And, you know, I don't know what's going on. No, he said, no, I know that God's anointed me. And at the right time, I'm going to become king. And, and God draws other mighty men around him. How do we know if we're insecure or if we're confident in our identity with, in Jesus? How do we know? I want to throw out a few kind of just things that I've observed in working with people over the last 10 or 15 years. Some characteristics of insecurity and of identity. And let me, uh, let me give you a disclaimer at the start. Something on this list will apply to you. We all fall somewhere in between the secure and the people who are confident. 
The, sorry, the insecure and the secure. Those who are insecure or those who are confident in their idea. We all fall somewhere in between. You might have a few more insecurity things. You might have a few more confident things, but don't beat yourself up. You're like, oh my goodness, number one applies to me. It's okay. They apply to all of us. They all apply. Well, so, so at the end, we're going to pray. <laughs> Insecure people spend a lot of time comparing themselves to others. Confident people, for the sake of not saying people who are confident in their identity in Jesus all the time, I'm just going to say confident people, but it's not confidence in ourselves. It's confidence in our identity. Confident people celebrate others. Insecure people spend a lot of time comparing themselves. Confident people celebrate others. Think about that in your life for a minute. Insecure people fear or fight strong, gifted people. Confident people are, are comfortable around gifted, talented people. See, when we're insecure and we're thinking, uh, you know, it's about me and, and my promotion and I hope people see me, other gifted, confident people make us very insecure because People are going to see them and they're not going to see me and they're going to go past me and I'm going to just be, oh, I'm a pleb. <laughs> but when we understand that it's not about that, we're comfortable around. It's amazing when God brings people who are more gifted and more talented than us because we go, this is amazing. The kingdom's going to advance. The be- my, my favorite thing as a leader is to see somebody who is more gifted and more talented than me. Let's go, thank you, Jesus. Bring more people. Bring more. I mean, I want to invest into people. It doesn't matter whether they go beyond me. I want them to go beyond me. That's the goal. It's not like, what if, what if they're better than you? I hope they are better than me. I want them to be better than me. I want the worship leaders that I train up to be better worship leaders and have bigger platforms than I've ever had. I want the preachers that I invest into to preach to thousands, to see multitudes get saved. I want the, 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 you know, the, the business people around me that I get to spend time with to make millions of dollars and to reach into spheres that will never reach and to resource the kingdom. I want them to be better than me in every single area. Insecure people are comfortable are only comfortable around people who need them. Insecure people are only comfortable around people who need them. Confident people love empowering people. If our identity is not in Christ, we'll find our identity in the people that need us. But when our identity is in Christ, we love empowering people. We love it when they don't need us. It's great. It's beautiful. Insecure people need to control everyone in their world. Confident people spend a lot of time thinking about the destiny of others. Insecure people need to control everyone in their world. When they're not in control of something, it makes you feel really insecure. Because, you know, what if they do it differently than me? What are people going to think of me if they do something that, that's not the way I would do it? What if they're better? And all, that, all those sort of things that come up. But confident people spend a lot of time thinking about the destiny of others. I don't need to control where you do and where you go. I want you to reach your destiny and fulfill the all that God's called you, called you to. So go for it. Be released. Run into it. Insecure people build cases against people in their minds to feel better about themselves. Confident people see themselves as a catalyst to the destiny of others. Isn't it like, I mean, it's interesting. I was, I was pondering this um, over the last couple of weeks that when we're insecure, we assume conversations that other people are having. It's like, like Tim looked at me real funny. I walked in and Tim was like whispering to Kate and like, I'm, you know, Tim was talking about me because Tim doesn't really like me, um, you know, and, you know, so I'm sure that Tim has a problem with me. And we, you know, Tim was probably just saying, hey, Kate, what are we going to have for lunch? But we start to assume things about other people because we're insecure in ourselves. And so then we build up this whole thing. And then I've got this like fake problem that doesn't actually exist. But Tim hates me. And Tim, you know, oh man, Tim, you know, Tim, Tim just has a real problem with me. I'm going to stay away from Tim. I'm going to talk to Josh all the time. Then I'm going to give Josh the problem with Tim because Tim hates, Josh, do you know that Tim hates me? 
Like, because he was talking to Kate about me. And then, then Josh was thinking, maybe Tim hates me too. <laughs> and Tim doesn't hate anyone. Tim loves everyone. Tim just wanted to know what was for lunch. <laughs> Tim just loves burritos. He was just like, I want to have burritos. <laughs> Confident people see themselves as a catalyst to others' destiny. Um, insecure people take people's compliments of others as an insult to themselves. Hello. Confident people love themselves. It sounds odd, but it's true. Love themselves and are comfortable with who they are. It's not like I love myself more than I love Jesus, but actually, you know, I'm happy with who I am. Yeah, because I'm pursuing Jesus and I'm doing what he's called me to. So I'm comfortable with who I am. When we're insecure and somebody compliments somebody else, it's, it, it, it's, yeah, we assume that they're putting us down. But when we're confident, somebody else's compliment is our compliment. If I've invested into somebody and I'm secure in who I am and somebody compliments them and doesn't compliment me, that's amazing because it's a compliment to me because I've invested into them. I'm like, we're all, we're all winning here. But when I'm insecure and I've invested in somebody and somebody compliments them, I think, well, what about me? Why don't you like me? Why aren't you complimenting me? It's all about me. Me, it's me, 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 me. Insecure people think of me instead of us. Confident people are vulnerable about their weakness, flaws, and constraints. Think about what's best for me, what's best for my ministry, what's best for my opportunity, rather than what's best for us, what's best for the team. How do we release? How do we grow? How do I get other people involved? When we understand our identity in Christ, we can be vulnerable about our weaknesses and our flaws and our constraints because those things don't limit what, how God can use me. Actually, when I'm vulnerable about my weaknesses, it releases other people to be honest and vulnerable and to grow. When I pretend like I have it all together, then everyone thinks they have to have it all together and everyone gets insecure. Like Russ, is the, you know, Russ has it all together. But when we're, when we're vulnerable and we realize that Russ, you know, Russ has most of, the, most of life together, been doing it for a while. He's got like, you know, I mean, I think he's got pretty well together. But I'm sure that there's still things. And when we're vulnerable with each other, we go, oh, wow, I can be real too. I only got a couple more. Insecure people are overly self-conscious. Secure people enjoy seeing others honored. Overly self-conscious. Were they talking about me? Were they thinking about me? Was everyone looking at me? How did I look when I was up there? You know, what is that person going to think if I pray for them? You know, what, what is that person on the street going to think about me? They don't think about you at all. They're terrified that you just asked to pray for them. Like, <laughs> what are they going to think about me if I say, can, like, I see them limping and I say, can I pray for your leg? You, like, what are they going to think about me? They're not thinking about you. They're thinking, what the heck? Like, why are you talking to me? And then if you pray for them and they get healed, they're not thinking about you. They're thinking about, I'm healed. This is amazing. Like, uh, we have to, I think we have to realize it's not all about me. People, you know, people don't think about me as much as I think they think about me. The problem is we live in a society where we want everyone to think about us all the time. So we put everything that we do on social media and we want everyone to be thinking about us and people aren't actually thinking about you that much. Sorry to burst your bubble. Some people are thinking about you. If you're married, hopefully your spouse is thinking about you and your kids and you're thinking about your kids. But even they aren't thinking about you as much as you think they're thinking about you. They should be, they should be. <laughs> I mean, it's just true, you know. Confident people enjoy seeing others honored because it's not about me. Anyways, we'll move on. I think we made the point. It's not about me. Insecure people live in conflict all the time. People who are secure in their identity in Jesus live in peace. If you find that you are surrounded constantly by conflict, then maybe you need to ask the Lord, have I settled this thing of identity, of who I am? Because it says in him we find peace. We find rest. Most of us, as I said, are somewhere in between these two lists. And um, you know, obviously we're aiming at being people who are confident in our identity in Jesus. So if you find, if you see yourself amongst the insecure, don't beat yourself up this morning. 
We come together to learn and to grow and for the Lord to speak to us. And hopefully he's speaking to you and we want to grow. We want to change and be transformed by his presence. If you find yourself amongst the insecure or you see some of the characteristics of insecurity in your life, I want to end this first session with some things that we can practically do to move from insecurity to confidence. Cool? Some practical things to move from insecurity to confidence in our identity. Firstly, these are real practical. I hope they're not too practical, but they're really practical. Take a 30 minute, take 30 minutes in your life. Just take out 30 minutes and ask Jesus what he thinks about you. Just let him speak identity and sonship over you. If you ask Jesus, what do you think about me? And you hear, you're not good enough, you're not worthy. That's not Jesus. Just rebuke the enemy, rebuke yourself and ask again, Jesus, what do you think about me? Because it's going to be, I love you. You're great. You're amazing. I've gifted you. You're my son. You're my daughter. You know, I want to use you. I want to put my, my identity on you. I want to presence myself with you. 30 minutes of that, and you're going to be like, ooh, I'm feeling, I'm, feeling, I'm feeling good. I'm feeling more confident. Secondly, record his insights into your life and meditate on them. Take 30 minutes and ask him what he thinks about you. Write them down and then meditate on that stuff. Because what he's going to speak to you is going to be the areas that he wants you to grow in. Thirdly, search the scriptures for verses about your identity in Christ and write them down, put them on your bathroom mirror, put them on the back of your toilet door, repeat them as you're getting ready in the morning. Who I am in Christ. I am a son of the living God. I am chosen. I am loved. I, 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 am, I am loved. I'm his beloved. I, you know, there's like, there's hundreds and hundreds of I am's in the Bible. Fourthly, take a 40-day journey. Take 40 days and journey through the life of the people around you. This is what I mean. Record at least three strengths for everyone who's regularly in your world. It'll change the way, it'll help you change the way you think about others. It'll, It'll get you into the habit of looking for the golden people. Take 40 days, you know, write a list of all the people that are in your life. Just, and rather than, you know, so often we think about all the bad things about them. Maybe not all of us. Some of you guys are maybe more on the side of you're secure in your identity. When you see people, you, you instantly think about all the good things. But most people, lots of people, especially if we're going to disciple people who don't have church background and haven't been becoming more like Christ for many years, when they see somebody, they think about all the things that they could hurt them in. All, you know, all the bad things about them. When I see Tim, I see a, a confident leader. I see a man of God. I see a strong prayer. I see an amazing worship leader. <laughs> see, but yeah, very good looking. That's for you, Kate. You can write that down. But many people will look at somebody and see the flaws and see the faults. This will help you change that way you think. Fifthly, tell a few close friends about your flaws and fears. Practice being transparent. It delivers you from shame. Not everyone. A few, like two or three. Just say, these are some of the things that I am insecure with. Would you pray with me? What it does, it sets you free. It sets you free from shame. It sets you free from those things that you think, I'm not good enough. And it's not just to tell them so that they just, you know, I was going to say blow smoke, um, but <laughs> not to tell them so that they just make you feel better. It's to be honest so they can encourage you. Are we up to six? Take time to, con- uh, to consciously imagine the best about two people who intimidate you. These are practical things to help you move from insecurity to identity. Two people who intimidate you for whatever reason. Take some time to consciously imagine the best about them, to think good things about them. Seventhly, forgive yourself of your past failures because Christ has forgiven you. Remind, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Remind yourself that although you may have failed, you're not a failure. Eighth, invest in anyone you're jealous of because then their victory becomes your victory. 
Invest in anyone you're jealous of because their victory then becomes your victory. Two more. Ninthly, write down 50 things you're thankful for. Or 100. Or two, uh, whatever. It's just a random number that I picked. because 50 seemed like enough to make you actually start to be thankful. But the first, like, the first 15 or 20 is going to be, is often, if you say, what are you thankful for to people? Oh, you know, my house and my car and my job. And it's all stuff that doesn't matter. It's all superficial things. If you go to 50, you've got to actually get to real things. Because you run out of superficial things to be thankful for. And you got to actually just have to start thinking, actually, I'm thankful for my relationships. And I'm thankful for salvation. And I'm thankful for God's presence in my life. Finally, write a short note to five people you appreciate in your life. So if you guys do this, hopefully you're going to be getting some notes from each other to encourage you. (laughs) Write a short note to five people you appreciate in your life. If you do these things for 40 days, 40 days straight, it will deliver you from the land of insecurity and help you understand and live in your identity as a son or daughter. It'll start that, that process, that journey of moving from insecurity to identity and help you when you're living in that place to be able to invest into others. Who are you investing into and where's your security as a son or daughter? Can we stand together? These two, those two questions should transform, radically transform the way you operate in the kingdom, the way you deal with people, the way you lead. When, you, when we get this, there's no, there's no stopping the impact that we have because it, it's a shift from it's the leader's or the pastor's responsibility to train and invest into people to it's my responsibility to make disciples, to train and invest into people. Lord, we thank you this morning Lord, that you are speaking to us. We thank you for your presence in this place. Lord, and I pray right now, Lord, as we've been talking about identity, Lord, if we found ourselves, even in that list, more on the side of insecurity right now, by your Holy Spirit, Lord, would you, would your anointing come? Would you bring change, Lord? Would you transform? Would you bring healing? Lord, if we've struggled with identity, Lord, because of hurt, Lord, because of things other people have said, Lord, I just proclaim healing right now in Jesus' name. Lord, would you establish us as sons and daughters, Lord? Would you speak even now? Speak to us, Lord. Lord, your love, Lord, that we are your sons, that we are your daughters, Lord. Would our our identity in you be the thing, Lord, that releases us to invest into others? Lord, help us to invest. Help us to see you. Lord, help us not just to do the church thing, Lord, but to do the kingdom thing, to invest into people, to see the kingdom advance. And as a byproduct, Lord, will the church grow? Bless you, Lord. Amen.